Hello and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and I have a few more random facts from listeners who wrote in to me to share with you. And this week is from Jalen, who's been listening to this podcast since 2021. And they are about to join the Air Force to pay for animation mentor, which I guess is one way to pay for your animation school. So good luck, Jalen, and thanks for listening. This week I'm chatting with Colin Giles, who is the head of the School for Animation and Visual Effects at Vancouver Film School. Now before going to VFS, Colin worked on a lot of animation projects, including working on Sausage Party, Thomas the Tank Engine, and Ren and Stimpy. Now as the head of the School for Animation, Colin shares how he ended up there, where he's seeing the industry heading from a student's perspective, and all the ins and outs of what it's like to study animation at VFS. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hello, Colin. Thanks for coming on the chat. How are you doing? I'm doing great today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a, this is a, this is a good honor and, and happy to chat with you today. Oh, an honor. That's good to hear. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited to chat too, especially because, you know, Vancouver Film School was something that I looked into when I was um, searching out whether to go to animation schools. And I remember uh, even before I decided to go into animation, all the the thesis films and like 3D, et cetera, were like super popular on YouTube quite a few years ago. I remember there was like one with a bird uh, like falling down a cliff. It was a kiwi, I think. Yeah. Um, so but I'm curious, you've been a professor there for 10 years now. How have you seen students coming into the program change over the last 10 years, especially recently with you know, we we've gone we've gone completely digital. There are new tools. You know, there's AI coming. Like our students and their social media, like TikTok is new. Our students coming in with different expectations and skill sets that they weren't ten years ago. Or like I, I don't know how how have you seen kind of students change in animation? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean we get the. Our school is such an international school, so we're always getting people from all kinds of different backgrounds and such a wide spectrum of people from high school, people from universities, people who are changing careers. And I know you can relate to that. Um, that has that hasn't changed. What has changed, I think, mostly is people's awareness, awareness of the industry itself. Mm. Um you know, even 10 years ago when I started or, you know, I've been teaching part time in different places over the last 15 years. Um, there was like a there seemed to be this sort of romantic like, ooh, what is this mystery of animation? But I think there's so much there's so much resources out there now that a lot of students come in really well prepared um, or at least think they are well prepared um, and have like a, a really clear idea of, of what might be out there. And I think it's been exciting for me as a educator to kind of you know, match that energy up and that knowledge and awareness of, you know, 3D animation or animation as it relates to film or television, um, cinema, you know, especially with like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, you know, how how cinema has changed, how the streaming services have like really changed our industry. There's just so much out there and so, so many resources for for people to understand how this is all done. But what's exciting now and, and and looking forward a little bit is like all the, you know, all the new technologies is is one thing, but also the new markets, you know, moving into computer imaging and computer animation in all kinds of different realms. That's not just film and television or not just even entertainment. Um, so it's it's really exciting for me to be able to keep stay ahead of the game a little bit where like yeah. students will come in and they're like, oh, we know. I, I kind of know all this stuff and it's like, oh yeah, but there's so much more for you to, to be able to expose, to be able to be exposed to. So 
Um, I think that's, that's probably the biggest change for me is, yeah, just an awareness. The other thing, and this is maybe going to sound a little cynical, but I think the, especially in the 3D side of things, I think the kind of like instant, like, wow, just put 3D out there and people are going to come. Like, I just, we're past it. Uh, I think there's definitely a level of kind of 3D exhaustion. Um, Mm. I don't think it's as like, I don't think it's this like sexy Top Gun thing anymore. And I don't mean Top Gun literally, but like, hey, come to 3D, get yourself a job and everything's going to be taken care of. It's like, you know, I think we're seeing that even just in terms of design of of projects. You know, you look at the Spider the Spider Verse films and the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film that's coming out. Like, like people are much more open to accepting new ways of looking at three D animation. Okay. Um, there is definitely, I think, like a and maybe COVID had part of this to do with it, but there's just sort of like. I find there's been a big change in how people relate to 3D, how they relate to the animation industry uh, in and of itself. We've seen a huge shift towards classical animation again. um, And that's actually one of our more popular programs. And, you know, you can kind of see that happening years ago. So I think it's just... When you say classical, you mean hand-drawn or like 2D, like rigged puppets? Yeah, like the rigged puppets thing, but also like we we teach it here as both as rigged yeah. puppets and hand drawn into into the digital realm, and um and I know there's a bit of a hybrid with that now too. So I think there's a definitely a shift towards a more tactile way of working, um and of course you marry that with like crazy technology like virtual production, LED volumes performance capture, AI, all these different things that are all kind of like coming together. And the great thing about a school is we can accept it all. You know, like we don't have to, we don't have to deflect any of it. We don't have like a, we don't have like a business plan that a studio might have, where it's like, we're only going to invest in this kind of thing. It's like, we can kind of follow whatever thread is happening out there, which means now that our students are coming in with this hyper awareness of what the industry is and what it could offer them, we can kind of say yes to anything, even if we don't have expertise in it. Um, and say, if a student has an idea for connecting these two dots together, that maybe it's like, yeah, let's just try it. We can kind of operate as a research facility in that case too. Right. So I think 10 years ago, it was very sort of like almost paint by numbers. And now we're starting to shift into this kind of like, wow, there's so many possibilities out there. Where do you even start? Interesting. I just have one follow-up question from something you said before about, you know, students are coming in with uh, different expectations of the industry and st- such. Does this mean it takes less convincing for their parents to understand that the animation industry <laughs> is real? Because even when I went to school, uh, what, 2018, that's five years ago, there yeah. was still a talk for the parents to be like, this is a real thing. There's actually jobs in this industry. But like, have you noticed that change as well? And and more people are considering it as a viable career option? Or is it still like you're pursuing an artist career? Like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. That is still out there. It's still a thing like this. I hear it from students a lot. It's like my parents have no idea what I'm doing. They don't think I should be doing this. Or I had to go get a law degree first as a backup. And oh, my goodness. I think there's still, a law degree. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever it might be. Right. Like, I think there's still yeah. this like you're going to be a starving artist. And it's like, have you seen the box office returns of the Mario brothers movie this weekend? Like, have you seen the amount of jobs that are here across the globe in this industry? Do you see how much it's grown? Do you see all the new areas? It's like, there is definitely a lack of awareness on that end because it's just sort of seen as like, it's like, Hey, you're going to get a job in cartoons. Like, what is that? It's, I think there's definitely still a disconnect between the practicality of 
of it. I, I like to tell students, it's like, it might not seem like a logical choice, but it's a legitimate one, right? It's, it's a legitimate industry. It's a huge industry. And if you kind of like marry it to the game industry, it's like, it's massive. It's trillions of dollars of economic output and input around the world every day. Um, it's a huge deal. And it's beyond just, you know, movies and TV and games, of course, it's advertising, it's architectural design, it's advertising, um, it's in vehicle design, industrial design, it's everywhere. We've had students go on and work in um, HVAC companies doing airflow animation, right? It's wow. like, and they're using <laughs> Maya. So it's, it's one of those things where there's so many possibilities. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think it's still I think a lot of people still don't understand how it's done. Like, how is the sausage made? I don't get it. Um, so yeah, I, 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 that's, it's funny that I don't know if that'll ever change. I, I feel like there'll be a shift, you know, like when, when our students, kids go to animation school, they'll be like, yeah, yeah. my parents were animators. You'll be know? like, you're going to become a doctor. Like what's wrong with you? Get into animation. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, it's funny. I've, I've often joked that there should be a reality show about an animation studio. Like how many, how many TV shows are about hospitals right. and police right. Uh, I think I think about this all the time, actually, because I watch yeah. a lot of the creative, you know, there's ones in fashion, there's there was Craftopia, which made crafts. But like, I guess the animation, it takes so long that you you'd have like very little to show at the end of like one week, which is usually in reality <laughs> time. It's like they have one day to do it, but they say yeah. it's a week. So I don't, I don't know if it has the same impact, but I would if if you come up with a good idea, I'm in for this. Let's partner on it. OK, right. Um, I think it's I think there's something there. But if nothing else, just the personalities that you find in an animation studio are worth putting on television. So totally, totally. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. OK. Another thing is, you know, a lot of um, schools get criticism for kind of being behind the times with animation mm -hmm. specifically. Sure. You know, they're still teaching the old ways. They're not caught up yeah. in the latest uh, whatever. But you mentioned some things like, uh, you know, the at the forefront of technology that you're exploring and you're excited to ex explore with your students. So maybe yeah. can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you connect with the current tech and in, in, in school, I guess? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because I think, well, there's actually two ways to look at this question. One is the thing that will never change, which is really what our whole program is, all three of our animation programs. So I should just kind of like maybe clarify this, like at, at, I, I'm the head of the School for Animation and Visual Effects. So we run an animation concept art program, a classical animation program, and a 3D animation and visual effects program. So we have about 300 students at any given time. We're, we're pretty big. Um, and within that, there's like, there's a guiding sort of vision for what we want our students to learn, which is how to become problem solvers. That, that is our prime concern. And there's four pillars to that. There's critical thinking, research, craft, and story. So the craft part of it is where the technology kind of goes in. And it's one of those things where it's like, and this is kind of a cliche saying now that a lot of us know is in the animation industry is like the art informs the technology and the technology informs the art, that kind of thing, or the inspires thing. So for us, the technology is like, how is it going to help us solve problems? That's the first question we ask ourselves. The second one is like, how is this going to help students attain a career in our industry? Now, I started, my first job was animating pencil on paper. <clears throat> and I would take my drawings and I'd shoot them frame by frame on a little old computer that you, there's probably no way that computer like that would run anymore. Um, and here I am now running a school where we integrate, you know, real-time compositing, real-time rendering, performance capture. I mean, that was 25 years ago. That's a, a massive leap in technology. The, the process of design and problem solving really hasn't changed. The technology has changed dramatically. So for us, it's kind of like, 
if we're going to introduce our students to say performance capture or an LED volume or uh, real time rendering, or is something like rigging or lighting or anything, any of the technical aspects of what we do is it all has to come down to what problem are we solving? So we never have a class that's called like performance capture one-on-one or Maya one-on-one because that's just, you know, you open up Maya and what does it do? It doesn't do anything. It's a static. It's, it's not even an app. <laughs> it's not going to tell you the weather. It just sits there waiting for you to instigate it. So our focus in the school is what are we, you know, is the why. It's very easy to answer the what questions, what software, what job, what career, what project. For us, it's about why. Why are we doing this? What's the inspiration? What's the story? What's the character? You know, where, why do we need to use this tool? Is this tool going to help us improve the project? Uh, is it going to be something that's going to add, you know, some artistic value to it or story value to it? So I think for us, it's always balancing that because it's it's very easy to get you know, swayed by, wow, we're just going to be in a performance capture volume for four hours and everyone's looking around like, wow, this is so cool. Well, first of all, you're not sitting by a computer right now. So that alone is just a benefit. Um, or you're sitting in our green screen room. We have an amazing green screen volume here at school. It's like 270 degrees. It's it's just fun to show oh God, and okay. it's super functional. But again, it's like, you can't learn that stuff in a vacuum. Like, you know, what, what are we using that facility for and how are we tying it contextually to all the other parts of the process that happen in a pipeline? So for us, it's like, we're, I would like to think we're always pretty nimble and, and relatively up to date with where the technologies are going. Um, I don't think we need to be the tip of the spear. Like we don't need to be the place where we invent all that stuff, but we can sort of like lean on it, use it, expose our students to it. If like, 10% of our students get inspired to do performance capture. Great. Just follow that path. Um, and we have the, the ability to support that rather than trying to box people in like, well, the future of our industry is performance capture. That's all you need to learn today. Right. It's that's, it doesn't mean anything without the contextual idea of like, you know, we're film school, we're Vancouver film school. So we've always had that, you know, we're going to be 35 years old in October we've always had that spirit of storytelling and filmmaking. So these are all just great tools that keep getting added. You know, if I think about what we have at our disposal at the school, we've never gotten rid of anything. We still animate on paper. We still use computers and we use Maya and we use Nuke and we added Houdini and we added Unreal. And, you know, then we could do real-time compositing and we have a performance capture relationship and, you know, all these things just keep getting added. It's not like we're replacing anything. So, for us, it's always about maintaining the reason for why you would use these tools. And some of them are incredibly exciting. Some of them are so new that we don't really know how they're going to develop. Some of them are only on version 2.0. Um, and that's exciting as a student to just know that at the very least, um, they're going to be exposed to those those kind of tool sets. And then also, more importantly, be given the reason for why you'd want to use them. Wow. I really like, first of all, it sounds like Vancouver Film School is turning into a museum of uh, animation techniques, but I really like, yeah. you know, uh, starting with why. And, you know, I think that's a very important question to figure out why you're doing anything, really. Yeah. Uh, instead of saying, you know, we have a giant performance capture studio and we're we're just teaching that. It's more like, you know, is this the best tool to accomplish what you want to do? I guess in that sense, you know, you started hand-drawn TV uh you know animation how yeah. have you and for instance like for me like i went to animation school i had to learn my etc etc but like uh i found it tougher and tougher to learn new programs 
when I got more familiar with other programs that I liked. How have yes. you been able to uh, put yourself in a situation where now you're head of the school at uh, Vancouver, Vancouver Film School and mm -hmm. you're potentially implementing all these crazy new technologies? How have you been able to take yourself from learning traditional, doing hand-drawn paper to, you know, at the forefront of animation where it's going technology-wise? I think, well, first of all, I think because I've had to adapt so much, yeah. you know, just to keep working in the industry, uh, it's, it's what it's allowed me to do is just focus on, on again, the high value prospect of what I'm doing is storytelling. You know, I'm I was going to say, what is, what is your why then in that case? Yeah. For, for me, like I think of my, like my title is one thing, but I actually think my job now is to help people tell stories. Mm. That's, that's my job. And if that means I need to manage people in schedules and I had to administer and manage things and all these, like, you know, they're not artistic, but that's going to help people learn or practice. Great. If I'm in class teaching or if I'm mentoring students, or if I'm drawing over animation, I'm using all that experience. That's great too. Or if I'm doing public speaking and I'm doing workshops, that's great. It's all, it's all of equal value to me. Um, so for, for my career, you know, I started at Disney interactive, um, the very first thing I ever animated was a, a, a ladybug blinking. Oh, wow. And it, it took, dude, it took me like four days. Like I got so many notes on that thing. Um, wait, 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 what, what is this ladybug part of? It was literally like a ladybug down like here, like a speck on the screen and it blinked and I, we were animating at 10 frames a second. Cause these were like CD ROM games. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering which game this was. I probably played it. It probably came in like a cereal box that I got. Yep. 100%. That was like a, a badge of honor when I realized, wow, all the work I did, you can get free in the bottom of your Cheerios. Um, yeah, it was Lion King 2. Okay, so I, I played this. I don't remember any ladybugs. I was actually thinking it was either like Tarzan or Lion King. How do you have four days of notes on a ladybug blinking? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was like trial by fire. It was like just getting it right and learning how to animate 10 frames a second. And then only got better from there. You know, it's like, in, you know, a couple, couple years later, I was a lead animator on the I think it's called Mickey's Phonics Quest or something. Oh my god! Uh, animating full screen Mickey shots is like, which wow. is not hand drawn. I'm like, wow, this is like a trip back in time. And of course, I'm like, what, 21 years old? I had no sense of like gratefulness for it. I was like, yeah, this is what happens. You go to school, you get to animate Mickey Mouse, right? Like, this is what it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously, soon with the with the you know the push to the sort of democratization of 3D animation. Like I started when Toy Story came out and like 3D animation seemed like, wow, there's like eight astronauts that get to do that. Like that's so unattainable. And it didn't take long before, you know, you had Reboot, which was done here in Vancouver. Right. And then it was like, oh, 3D is just a thing that we can all do. I learned Maya in seven days on the job. Um, wow. Because it was a survival thing. It was like a relationship thing where it's like, I was working in a studio, working in Flash. And they had a big 3D project coming and they're like, you know, I kind of knew everybody. Do you want to stay and work on this project? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Do, do you know Maya? And I'm like, I have nated, never dated anyone named Maya. So I don't know what you're talking about. And yeah, I just worked with some people and they showed me like, you know how to animate this way. This is how that relates to animating with this tool go. And I just kind of like went from there. I think for me and just kind of like the timing of things, I never really got deep dive into Maya. Um, 
because by that point I started to get into like sort of like more lead or supervisory roles where you're kind of like, you're just executing things or helping other people. Yeah. Um, and even now, like in the studio, like I, I couldn't tell you how, I mean, I know how performance capture works, but I wouldn't know how to like take that data and augment it. Or like I could direct the heck out of a, a shoot on a volume, but I don't know. Right. I, don't know, I don't know how to go any deeper than that. Well, it's a good um, thing you're teaching students how to, how to use that for you then. <laughs> exactly. Right. So you just um, mentioned, you know, you were, you went from a ladybug blinking to animating full Mickey mouse, which is, uh, you know, that's a big jump in skill yes. and talent to, uh, you know, learning Maya, not even needing to use yes. it really because you were then a lead yes. animator, you know, how, how are you, you know, quote unquote, climbing the ranks or, you know, doing things that made other people trust you with these roles? What was, you even said you were, you were not grateful at the time for the kind of the opportunities you were given. So like, what, yeah. was, what were, what were you doing looking back that enabled you to, you know, um, end up in those positions? I think, well, for one, I was naive, <laughs> which is goes along with the ungrateful. Cause I was like, yeah, this is great. I was super I confident. Always... Didn't know what he was doing. People were like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, this is all planned. No, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have, I just knew I loved to draw and I loved animation. And I was a big Disney nerd, of course, as you can see. Um, okay. I still get labeled with that, even though it's changed a lot. But I, yeah, for, for me, it was, it was just being open to learning. I was so curious about animation. Um, but for me, the most valuable part of this whole career, so up to this point, and I've been, like I said, I've been doing this for 25 years, is the people. Huh. Um, there are times where people will look at, you know, you know, a student will look at my IMDb. They're like, oh, you worked on this episode of whatever. I'm like, did I? Oh, yeah. Wow, I did. And you forget. But as soon as I'm sort of cued into that memory, I could I could list off everybody I worked with. Um, and it's it really comes down to the relationships that uh, I've built. And I think that is the one thing I'm most proud of in my career is, is just building the, a network of people that, you know, and while I am humble enough to know, I'm not certainly not the best animator. I'm not the best drawer. Um, I think I've got good timing. Um, I should be yeah, able to time. I was actually going to ask you what an animation timer is. Cause I noticed that in your, your extensive list of IMDB credits as well. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that was one of the biggest learning curves of my animation career. And I am so, I am so grateful for that. And I was grateful at the time because I knew exactly what was happening. It was when I was working on the the kind of re revamp of Ren and Stimpy, um, a, a fellow by the name of Bob Jakes, who's just like one of the preeminent animation timers in the world, um, kind of put us, a couple of us through, through bootcamp. Um, and it really is just, it's basically animating on an exposure sheet. And then all that direction goes overseas to animators who just literally follow that frame by frame. And you put in where the hand goes up and how many frames and where the eye blinks go and where all the lip sync happens. And you're basically animating the performance and the mechanics, um, frame for frame. And oh. it really forced me to understand the value of planning, yeah. um, and really seeing the animation, so I would use little tricks, like I would open up Flash and I would just take boxes and I'd be like, well, how much, what does that six frame, you know, walk look like? What does a 12 frame run look like? And you just go boop, 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 boop. I'm like, oh, that doesn't look good. Or this works great. Or actually I need to travel this far across the screen and I only have 32 frames. Like how am I going to do all that? So I just learned 
very quickly the value of shot planning, scene planning, understanding the whole picture. It's like, well, if I do this move in this shot, I can't do it again in the next shot. So you kind of have to choreograph things. And then I started timing like full episodes of shows. Um, so that, that, you know, again, that's just a, one of those things where I kind of like, I was just interested in it. I showed an interest in it. I probably showed an aptitude for it as well. And, and you just want to deliver and you build that, that, that trust because I was also curious enough to ask questions and be like, I don't know how to do this, you know, show me. And people love getting asked the question, show me something that, you know, right? Like it's, it, it's a two way street. So I was just, yeah, I was just always so curious about that kind of stuff. And um, so, so, sorry. I, um, I originally thought it was like an editing thing, but you're saying you're basically drawing like, you know, key poses and then everything else was on timing sheet and it would just get sent off. Yeah. In some cases I wasn't even drawing key poses. There were some shows where we did that, but yeah, for the most part, it was just all exposure sheet work. I worked on a show called robot boy, did tons yeah. of that stuff. Wait, so you just um, send them yeah. off the model and say hand lifts to like, how do you direct it if it's just a timing sheet with no drawings? Yeah, there'd be like the storyboard. So I just worked off the storyboard. Oh my goodness. So um, it's just a storyboard. And then you're yeah. just saying lift the hand up. Here's the wow. Yep. Dude. And sometimes it'd be slugged, meaning like the, it would all be kind of pre preset in terms of like the length of scenes. And uh, sometimes uh, you'd have to do that yourself. Um so, so yeah, it was basically like directing a show completely blind. Yeah, that sounds like it. So you'd get it back and it would be like pretty much your vision of what you wanted to happen. Yeah. And because if, if you're, you're not drawing the right, key poses, you're leaving that up to somebody else, right? Yeah, totally. So they would just take the key poses off a storyboard. Sometimes if depending Crazy. on the budget or the time, you could tweak those poses or add a couple and be like, yeah, actually, we really need to hit this pose. Uh, so we'll just go in and add it or draw it or you put it in a post-it note on the side. Um, yeah. And then when it comes back and you watch the show and it's all in full color, you're like, sometimes <laughs> you just nailed it. And sometimes you're like, Ooh, that was no. Cause some, you know, there wouldn't be enough time to revise stuff where you'd have like 10% revisions where, you know, there'd be a few key scenes where like, Ooh, we didn't quite nail that. You can yeah. revise that. But yeah, for the most part, it was, wow. Oh my goodness. And I, I swear I still use some of that stuff. It's like stuff in school that you just, it's like earworm yeah. stuff. It just stayed there. That's one of the hardest things that I've, I'm still learning timing, timing charts, because my form of animation is just whatever looks good through the mm -hmm. experiment, experimentation phase. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, uh, worked your way up. You, you kind of said the two main things were, you know, uh, really getting to know your network and being nice and also being yeah. open to learning, which I think is totally great. What made you decide to get into teaching? You know, that's a big switch in career path. You went from, animating every single day as part of a production to, you know, teaching other people how to do that. It's a totally different skill set. You're not doing the same thing. Like, what was that? What was that decision for you? I think I, if I was to be super blunt about it, I think I like super blunt about, about it, please. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just like talking about animation more than I like doing it. Actually, you just like um, talking about it. <laughs> yeah. After just doing the timing charts, he's like, I don't want to animate anymore. I just want to tell him anymore. What? I don't have to animate. I could just talk about it. Oh, I think um, in all seriousness, I, I really that seed for teaching as a as a as a career path was planted in high school. I had a couple of mm -hmm. really great art teachers specifically, and I went to a pretty small school uh, in northern Alberta outside of the city and like anything to do 
with art was just such an outlier. Like I was totally like different from everybody else in that way. They're all farmers um, and you went to. Yeah. And I was like, wow. So if I feel like that, imagine how these art teachers must feel. <laughs> um, they just kind of like must be so cool. So I was just kind of drawn to this idea of sharing knowledge with others and the, these art teachers, I, I could tell were generally, and this is not a slight to any other teacher, um, but I could just sense that they were more passionate about what they were teaching hmm. and that they had to have this special skill set to be able to share that. So once that, you know, that wasn't a big forward of the front of the mind sort of thought, but as I got going through my career um, and got put into some pretty early on, I was put into some like quasi leadership roles where like where you had to approve shots and talk to other artists. I realized I really loved sharing ideas. I loved bouncing ideas off other people. I don't think I have a, a big enough ego to be like, my idea is the best. I always kind of like was a little, maybe lacked the self-confidence for that. So I was always excited to hear other people's ideas and then put them into action. And I think over, over the years, and especially as we get into like lead roles on TV shows, you tend to work with a lot of like really new artists. Um, and I just really enjoyed seeing people succeed and like, like, wow, I showed them something and then they used it and it looked good. I'm like, selfishly that was that was my that was filling my cup you know um so I started yeah I started teaching part-time here and there I did a couple workshops I taught at a couple of other different schools I started developing some curriculum for a school where the owners didn't know anything about animation um and that was really fun I liked putting that puzzle together because I always felt like I valued the whole the whole picture like if I could pick one job it would just be director like I just want to you know, I'm not great at a single thing, but I kind of know a lot about everything. So I, that started to kind of play into it. And then, yeah, and then I was approached um, by Vancouver Film School to teach some part-time classes. And at the time, I was teaching classical animation and 3D animation. So I would teach the bouncing ball on paper on a Monday, and then we'd learn it in 3D on the Friday. And I got kind of like addicted to that um, to connect the dots for everybody because I knew there wasn't a ton of people out there that could like just quickly do both. Um, yeah. And then, you know, long story short, the rest is history, of course. But I just started to get really interested in workshopping things, getting really detailed about like acting for animators, storytelling. And my own curiosity just sort of led me there. And I think looking back on it now, and it's kind of obvious to say, but the most skillful and and, and sort of maybe... Um, valuable teachers are the ones who are students themselves, right? Like they're the ones who are like, let's go learn something together. Um, I'm just 25 years ahead of you. So yeah, I started to get into that and we started um, developing curriculum at the school and I helped develop some of the programs. And then, yeah, you just kind of like, I, I really enjoy public speaking. So I've been asked to speak at different conferences and do different marketing things at all kinds of different festivals. I started to travel a lot. So I'm like, I'm not going to get this working on season five of whatever TV show is on. And that's nothing against that. But like what fills my kind of creative um, cup was the mix of things that happen here. Hmm. You know, I'm in the classroom one day. I'm in a marketing meeting another day. I'm going in a couple of weeks. I'm heading down to Nifty, the National Film Festival for Talented Youth in the States. I'm just talking on a panel about bringing characters to life and and then I'm back in, you know, developing curriculum on the Monday. So it's just that kind of energy for me just works for the way I create and the way I I, I like working. And I still kind of like 
can't believe I get paid to do it. Um, and yeah, the fact that I'm the head of a cartoon school, I mean, it's ridiculous, really. Um, I don't have a degree. Uh, people call me professor, which is very flattering, but I'm the farthest thing from a professor. I don't have a master's. Uh, I would, it's an absolute offense to any actual professor out there. Um, <clears throat> so it's just, it's just a really great place to come and share ideas, um, challenge people. And I think our, like what I've realized now too, is there's a, and this is going to sound maybe like a little cheesy, um, but like people come to the school as students and they have an experience here, um, a life experience. It's not just about learning Maya or performance capture. It's about getting to know who they are. And I like to say like my kind of like thematic energy about this running this program is about finding your voice, which again, does sound a little cheesy, but no, I think that's hundred percent. Yeah. It's like, it's such a big industry, right? It's like, what, what, what's your path going to be? And it should be, again, it should come back to that. Why, why are you doing this? Why, why are you here? What was that inspiration? Let's follow that. Um, but also finding your voice means there's someone there listening. And I think that that is a really valuable aspect of a new artist's life is, you know, and I'm sure you can relate to this. Like, just remember back to the first time someone looked at one of your scenes. It's like this, you can get, you know, chills down your spine of nerves and fear and self-doubt. And there's, there's so much value into sharing your artwork with others and getting that feedback and learning from others and sharing ideas um, that, yeah, this is like, for me personally, working in a school is a way to just bring all those things that I'm interested in into one single place and, yeah, I'm, I certainly don't take for granted this at all as I would have 25 years ago. Nice. Do you ever, you know, I'm just, I can very much feel the passion from what you're just describing with what you do, which I think is amazing. It was getting me thinking about like, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with like self-actualization or hierarchy of needs or whatever, but it sounds like you've gone through quite a journey yourself with, you know, getting into animation, uh, which I didn't even ask you why you got into animation in the first place. Um mm. But is that the same reason that keeps you, you said storytelling, et cetera, but is that the same reason that keeps you, you know, teaching because do you miss, you know, working on TV shows and being part of that type of uh, project versus giving people the tools and helping them develop what they want to become? Yeah, I miss it less and less, I'll be honest, um, <laughs> because I get to work on a hundred different productions, even if that's just me looking over somebody's shoulder and going, Oh, that's pretty cool. What are you doing? And they're You're like, like oh, I'm trying to do this. Now. <laughs> yeah. Or like earlier today, I was like deep diving into somebody's storyboard and giving them like super detailed story advice. You know, it can kind of, it can swing both ways. Yeah. I got into animation. Uh, I grew up on like on in the country, like on a farm kind of uh, yeah. like in an acreage. And I got two channels. Um, one of them was CBC and yeah. I'd watch the Sunday night, you know, world of Disney um, and then every morning the newspaper would come and in there was Calvin and Hobbes. So those are the two major influences on me. And yeah, I just really had an amazing art teacher in, in junior high, actually, where they were just super encouraging. Her name was Mrs. Fine. I always like to say her name. She's long, long past. She was, she worked, she was a nurse in World War II. So she is definitely long since passed, but she was a sculptor and she just had so she she took herself seriously and she also took art seriously and that was like a big shock to me especially coming from art class where like most people were treating it like recess right and she really right. took me under her wing and she encouraged my parents being like he has an aptitude for this like he's naturally inclined to to draw and that's all i needed that's really kind of all it was i think i had about a six month 
affair with maybe being a radio DJ because I thought it would impress girls. Um, but that didn't work. So yeah, I just defaulted. The radio back DJ to or the impression for girls? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both. Um, so it it's, and then, yeah, I was in, I guess it was like in the mid nineties. Uh, we went down to Disney World where uh, Disney had the animation studio that was, you could walk through um, like the fishbowl where you look down. And I realized in that moment, I'm like, oh, they're drawing. And I think Beauty and the Beast had just come out or they were working on Aladdin or something like that. And it just kind of like it was what it was. If it was in a movie, it would be like the Ratatouille moment where all the he's eating the, yeah, the cheese yeah, and the yeah. strawberry and there's all these effects. That, that's what literally what happened. It, it was like a thunderbolt of like, oh, that's it. That's what I got to do. That's the drawing. That's the I like animation. I'm, I think I'm good at that. And people get paid to do it. Done. I'm in. That's it. That's wow. all I want to do. And I never wavered from that. So how does it feel looking back at, you know, you just described that instigating moment for you where you had this realization. Here you are 25 years later or whatever, doing yeah. all the things that you dreamed of. How does that, how does that feel right now in the, in this moment? It feels a little surreal to like say it out loud. Still? Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It, I'd certainly, like I said, I don't take it for granted. Um, yeah. In the, some ways it's inevitable. And in other ways it's a total fluke. Like there was no plan. I couldn't have imagined, like if you had gone back 25 years ago and be like, while I was animating that little beetle blinking or ladybug blinking, if you would have said, yeah, you're going to run one of the preeminent animation schools. And I'd be like, what? No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, that's not what's happening here. But I mean, I was lucky too is in that. And I should definitely mention this because I know I talk with students who have this as an obstacle, but I never had anyone telling me no. Huh. I never had any, like my parents my teachers, everybody was super supportive. They could yeah. see that I was passionate about it. They encouraged me. They challenged me. They held me accountable. Um, and then, yeah, I think once I, and I moved out of, man, I moved right after high school. I came out from, I came from Edmonton uh, to Vancouver right after high school. So that was like, talk about dropping in the deep end. Like I was yeah, like, wow. a water. Um, so yeah, it was just one of those things where I never had any obstacles in the way in terms of people doubting it. Um, I was given all the support I could ask for, uh, and didn't think I needed to, I just sort of all was there, you know, and, and I credit myself then we're, we're just taking advantage of it and, and just recognizing that I had that support all along the way and, and continue to. So, um, yeah, in some ways it makes sense that I'm here. Like if I look yeah. back and like, I, I love talking to people, I'm, I'm ironically enough, I'm probably more comfortable talking to a group of people than I am one-on-one um this helps that's, that's usually that the opposite me. of how things work <laughs> yeah put me in front of a thousand people no problem i don't have no any problem to do it. yeah because because then it's nobody it's just a blur oh of... my goodness i'm the opposite i'm sweating my legs are shaking like yeah. i can't speak properly we're like one-on-one -on -one, i'm totally fine I oh i can't <laughs> i'm i can't wait to talk to people like i'm like a like a, a horse at the beginning i should, of I should have brought more people and had a little audience i mean my dog is down <laughs> here just so you know that there's another person person <laughs> another thing you're i'm just pretending to. that all all your listeners are watching in a stadium setting. Exactly. I mean, uh, that's what's essentially happening. Uh, you know, as soon as I publish this, a couple hundred people tune in right away. So yeah. <laughs> you're gonna, uh, well, thank okay. you to those people because they're keeping me, uh, they're keeping me not being nervous right now. So. <laughs> exactly. Well, I don't want to make you nervous. Um, kind of going off of what you said uh, a lot earlier with people, you know, making career switches. I just wanted to like ask you this question because uh, for me to like when I hit 30 and I had to like quit my business job and I had a business degree and all these other things to get into animation was very nerve wracking. And I do get people reaching out to me who are in similar situations. You know, you mentioned law degree. 
uh, you know, they might be in architecture or engineering or something. Mm-hmm. What is your perspective from, you know, being a, a professor and the head of the school, seeing people who are making career switches later on in life? Because, you know, I had a lot of nervous anxiety. I'm joining 18, 19, 20 year olds. I have to catch up. I see people, there's like Reddit threads about, you know, I'm switching. Am I too old? Am I too late? I'm 27 years old, blah, blah, blah. So like, what would you say to those people, you know, being in this position for the last 10 years, seeing these types of people come through? Like, what is, what is it? What do they bring? You know, how are they successful? Can they be successful? What would you say? Well, first off, I feel like students in that case are tend to be, they have a high rate of success. Hmm. And I think I know the reason for that. And this goes back to what I teach students in relation to storytelling, which I think is the sort of secret sauce of a good, a well-told story. Good (laughs) is subjective, I suppose, but a well-told story, the audience understands the consequence of the main character, not overcoming the obstacle. Yeah. Like we, it's very clear. The main character understands that the storyteller understands that and the audience has to be death. (laughs) It's gotta be death, right? It's gotta be life or death. Um, Yeah. We're just very clear on that on the consequence of not achieving that. So when you come in as a 30 year old, a 34 year old, maybe you've got like a partner, maybe you're planning a family, maybe you already have a family. You've already been in the professional world. Maybe you've gone through a diploma and a degree. You're the pressure you're going to put on yourself. You, you already know how to kind of adjudicate that and adjust it. You know that if you don't accomplish this, it's going to mean either going back to, you know, back to the farm again, where you don't want to go back. Totally. Or you just have a, a, a different perspective on moving forward. So you're like, okay, I'm, I know exactly what I can get out of today. I know if I put something into it, I'm going to get something back. I'm going to be, you know, investing in something that might look like I'm taking credit now, but I'm, it's going to pay off down the road. Um, so I think the students in that case, you know, even if it's students who've come from another university program, you've already learned how to learn you you have a maturity about you you're also very like maybe self-aware as well you know your limitations um you know when to push and when to pull so there's just you kind of a student like that will come in with a lot of skill sets that put them at an advantage the the disadvantage then is you also know the consequence of not succeeding at this so it's like a good and it's a pro and a con right so you're put you might put extra pressure on yourself and i've seen that for sure um yeah, or there's that realization halfway through you're like, oh my gosh, I romanticized this. Actually, I don't like this. <laughs> I like it even less than my previous job. And I've seen oh, that before wow. too. Okay. And there's, but in a couple of cases in my sort of 10 years here, again, there's a maturity to that. Just being like, you know what? If I bow out now, I'm, I am I got something out of this and that's good. I learned what I don't want to do. I learned what I want to do. And then there's the other group of people in that, in, in similar situation to you. And maybe this is your specific story is, yeah, you just put hyper-focus into it and you made it happen come hell or high water. And you were successful because of it, because you understood the value of it. You understood what your goals were. Um, you understood what you wanted to get out of it. So I think there's like a super advantage to it. And I get a lot of people that'll be like, I'm too old for this. It's like, well, age is, doesn't matter. It's yeah, your mindset. Yeah. Like, are you, are you ready to put in, put in the effort? Cause I think there's a other part of it where it's like, just follow your dreams and your passions and everything will happen. It's like, no, that's not going to happen. You have to be proactive about it. You have to put the work in. Um, and sometimes it's going to be really frustrating and hard. And if you're coming from something like business where it's very kind of left brain, and then you're moving into an art 
where it's like, well, suddenly everything I do is going to hurt my feelings if someone doesn't like it. Like, it's a totally different mindset to change, which, you know, I'm sure you can relate to. So, but again, being a more mature student, you probably have an an awareness about yourself and how to handle that. I don't know if I could have said any of that better myself. I experienced all of what you said. Uh, Definitely the stakes were super high. I knew the consequences. And because of that, I hyper-focused and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You know, I just want to be conscious of your time, but uh, is there anything we didn't chat about that you still wanted to share or you think it would be interesting for the audience listening to know? You know, we've chatted yeah, about the, journey, think... the students, if you're an older student, you know, technology, your, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I mean, there's that old adage that like you come into our, a program like ours and you're going to learn the software, right? And the software is going to solve yeah. all your whatevers. And I, I definitely notice that's still a thing where especially younger people who are used to working with, I call it the app generation, where it's like you open up an app and it does something for you. It's, it's kind of like things happen. I open up my phone. I need some information. I press a button and it happens. I open up nuke. I open up Maya. I take a blank piece of paper as I, Oh, Oh shoot. I got to do something with this. So I think, I think one of the things I encourage people to do is to, to take a leap of faith on themselves and, mm. and be selfish. Like it's important to be selfish, especially while you're at school. It's like, ask all the questions, you know, tap everybody on the shoulder, you know, Oh, I don't know if I should, you know, add that person on LinkedIn, add all the people on LinkedIn, follow all the people on Instagram, TikTok, all the TikToks, like just get invested in it. Yeah. Deep, you know, just dive really deep into it and then understand that it's all going to change again, like to be adaptable. So I've had to, I've, I don't know if there's a job title that I haven't done, like in some regard, Now I'm not saying I did them well, but I've storyboarded, I've done turnarounds, I've done design, I've done background design, I've done concept art, I've done title sequences, I've done 3D animation, I've worked in games, I've worked in TV, commercials, feature film, I've worked on one like on films that have 4% in Rotten Tomatoes and films that you know I can't show with my mom. And I've just just like a wide array of stuff. And it's super, super valuable to me. And I'm very lucky that I had that. And I used to look at like friends of mine that were at like, you know, year 15 at Pixar and they'd worked right. on three Oscar winning films. And you're like, oh man, I'm just doing another Kellogg's commercial. And, you know, you start to like kind of feel that, but it's like looking back on it now, it's like, Hey, this was my own personal journey. And it, it was, it was meant to happen this way. It's a good thing that happened this way. And yeah, I could have taken a left turn at Albuquerque all along the way, but I think it's, it's, I look back on it being very grateful at the, my, my naive brain, which just allowed me to be adaptable being like, Oh, we're doing Maya today. Great. Oh, we're doing flash today. Cool. Sheet timing. Don't know what that is, but let's go. And, and just kind of be open to the learning process just in general. Um, I, it's funny. I tell my students now, I don't actually watch a lot of animation. Like (laughs) part of it is like, you know how the sausage is made, but also like, I, I, I'm just inspired by other things and you know, your tastes change and um, just like, you know, and sometimes they don't, I still listen to the same music I did in the late nineties, but um, the, the, the idea of being adaptable or like preparing yourself to have an adaptable career, because this is going to change four or five more times over the next 25 years. So right now we're in this kind of like really cool moment where a lot of the technologies are coming together and we're getting, you know, shows like the Mandalorian that are being created on these like led volumes. And it's like, wow, you can do all this. It's not 
it's not changing or replacing everything else. It's just another addition to it. So to me, I look at it as like, Ooh, what's the potential with that? How can we do that? And how can we marry that with these types of things? Like, Ooh, maybe we should do stop motion in front of an led volume, you know, like you can control every frame and that'd be yeah, cool. Yeah. And so rather than looking at it, like, well, that's the stop, that's the end game there. None of it's an end game. It's all about being, um, open to discovery and being being adaptable to the way our industry is going to change. And, you know, I look at it, it's changed at least three major ways since I started, you know, out of, out of college. And even then, it's there's probably other small ways too. And like, even if I look at the Vancouver industry, there was like four or five studios when I started, and then it's just exploded. It's, it's, it's crazy. And you, you couldn't have predicted that really. So you just kind of, kind of like, in some ways you can control it. And in some ways you just got to hang on and enjoy the ride. I mean, it sounds like you've been doing so. If there's one word that sums up your your career and how things have gone, it would be adaptability, which I think is what a lot of people that I've uh, had on this podcast share as well, you know, being adaptable yeah. to the industry, but also maintaining that why as well. You know, why are you doing this in the first place? Because you can do anything else. If you have to keep learning new things, but you don't like it, then then go yeah, somewhere else. Exactly. Cool. What's well, going to, you know, what's going to get you up in the morning? I like to say if I'm, when I come in to work in the morning, my, my cup is empty. And when it, when I leave at the end of the day, it's full and that's, Hey, that's all you can ask for. Right. So I'm just very lucky that I get 300 students from around the world that, that, uh, that, that get to help me do that every day. So that's 300. Cool. That's crazy. That's a lot yeah. of students. Remember, <laughs> well, Colin, it's been an absolute pleasure, you know, picking your brain and hearing, uh, you know, how you've approached the industry and, and where things are going for you. I think it's uh, phenomenal. So thank you so much for coming on the chat. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thanks, Terry. And yeah, I really, really appreciate being here and having the invite to talk. And like I said, I think I actually literally outright said, I just love talking about animation. I, I love the art form and I love the legitimacy of it. And if anyone's listening out there who's been doing it for 40 years or has just been thinking about it for four months and hasn't started yet, it's what an awesome opportunity to, to work in an industry that just has a really cool outlet for creative energy and more importantly, just really cool people to meet. And it's great to meet you too. And I always tell my students too, it's like, just remember the word animation. Like it's got that Latin word anima. And if you know Spanish, you can kind of like translate it into heart and soul. It's like, that's everything, man. It's like, it's, it's, we're just putting our own heart and soul into it and you get that back. And uh, so being involved in a school is just a great way to just feed off that energy. Uh, so selfishly, I just get to do that every day and, and uh, yeah, happy to, happy to share my experience with you. Cool, cool. Uh, I didn't know that about Anima, so that was interesting for me to learn. Um, but if you're listening and you want to, you know, reach out to or follow Colin, you you can do so by checking out his Instagram, which is Cartoon Colin, or emailing him at cgiles at v, vfs.com. And I'll include the link to that in the description of this chat. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Willem Mando and the graphics by Luhan Wang. I encourage you to look them up if you've enjoyed their work.